1 Timothy chapter 3 tonight, uh, verse number 1. I'd like to read down through verse number 13. And then I'll ask you to leave your Bibles open as we work our way through this text tonight. Look at verse 1. This is a true saying, if, if a man desire the office of a bishop, he desireth a good work. A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given to hospitality, apt to teach. Not given to wine, no striker, not greedy of filthy lucre, but patient, not a brawler, not covetous, uh, one that ruleth well his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. For if a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? Not a novice, lest being lifted up with pride, he fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must have a good report of them that are, which are without, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. Likewise, must the deacons be graved, not double-tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy of filthy lucre, holding the mystery of the faith in a pure conscience. And let these also first be proved. Then let them use the office of a deacon being found blameless. Even so must their wives be grave, not slanderous, sober, faithful in all things. Let the deacons be the husbands of one wife, ruling their children and their own houses well. For they that have used the office of a deacon well purchase to themselves a good degree and great boldness in the faith which is in Christ Jesus. May God add the, the, his blessings to the reading of his word. Let's pray. Father, bless your word tonight, we pray. And help us now as we work our way through some of this text tonight. And God, may it be a time of instruction for the church, a time of instruction for your people. And to God, may we learn exactly the kind of people that we need to fill these most important positions inside of the house of God, the local New Testament church. Help us tonight, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you've been with us recently in our Sunday evening services, then you may recall that we have been working and making our way through the book of First Timothy, one of only three books in our Bible that are written specifically to preachers, First and Second Timothy and also the book of Titus. Titus was the pastor of the church in Crete over in the book of Titus, while Timothy, as of the writing of 1 Timothy, was the pastor of the church located in the city of Ephesus. It was a good church. It had no doctrinal problems like the churches of Galatia. Galatia had many doctrinal problems. They were constantly trying to mix law and grace. They were saying that it's okay to be saved by grace, but if you want to stay saved, you got to keep the law. And they were mixing, or Paul's word, frustrating the grace of God. They had doctrinal problems. And then we know the church of Corinth had discipline problems. They had all kind of problems in the church of Corinth. There was an old boy living there with his daddy's wife, shacked up with her and was taking part in church. They were suing each other. Uh, they were uh, getting drunk at the Lord's table. I mean, you name it, they had problems in the church of Corinth. They had, uh, they had discipline problems in the church of Corinth. But when it comes to the church of Ephesus, there were no doctrinal problems. When it comes to the church of Ephesus, there were no dis discipline problems, but that didn't mean that they didn't have their own distinct 
kind of problems. You know, every church has its own set of unique problems and difficulties that it has to work through. And it was no different in the church of Ephesus. Timothy was left to pastor this church. And may I say that he had his own struggles as he sought to lead this group of believers inside of the city of Ephesus. So Paul writes a letter to encourage him as the pastor of the church of Ephesus. And as we have divided this book, there are six chapters. The first three chapters deal with building a church and the final three chapters deals with behaving like a Christian. So we're in that part of this book that deals with the fact of building the church. By the way, we all ought to be interested in building the church. My desire for our church is that we should grow. We should grow spiritually. We should grow financially and that we should grow numerically. My desire is for our church to flourish and to thrive in these last days. Well, if that's going to happen, then everybody has got to play their part. And we've been talking about the various parts, the moving parts that go into the building of a New Testament church. For instance, back in chapter 1, we talked about the part that the preacher plays uh, in building and the building of the New Testament church. We talked a little bit about the part that preaching plays in the building of the New Testament church. And when we entered chapter 2, we talked a little bit about the part that prayer plays in the building of the New Testament church. And then as we worked our way on down through this text in chapter 2, we ran into beginning there in verse number 11, the part that the women play in the building of the New Testament church. Then we come now to chapter 3 and we understand now the part that the men play in the building of the New Testament church. Now as we closed out chapter 2, we talked about the part that the ladies play and, and how that God intended for the ladies to play an important part, uh, a, a very a part of a very priority part uh, in the building of the uh, local New Testament church. But when we come to chapter 3, it's almost like Paul turns the, ch the page and he begins to talk about the leadership, the men, the male leadership that goes on inside of the New Testament church. And he lays out in detail for us the kind of men that should be the leaders of the New Testament church. Now, of course, I think you know there are only two ordained offices in the New Testament church. The word ordained. When I say there are two offices for which men are ordained in the New Testament church, the word ordained simply means to set in order or it means to arrange or it means to appoint to office. And those two New Testament offices in the New Testament church are the, the office of the pastor of the church and the office of being a deacon in the New Testament church. Now, God has specifically stamped his divine approval upon those two positions or those two offices. And here's the thing about those two offices. Those offices come with certain qualifications. You just can't take any man and stick him in to one of these two New Testament positions. Not just any man can be a pastor of a local church and not just any man can be a deacon in the local church. Now I get it like you. I understand that many times churches just set aside what God has to say uh, in our text here about the qualifications that need to be met for these two offices inside the church. A lot of uh, churches put people in positions because of a kind of a buddy system in that church. You know, you're my friend. I'm going to see to it. I'm trying to get you on the deacon board. Or you're my friend. I'm going to see to it. The pastor leaves. I'm going to try to get you to be the 
pastor of this church. And, and choices are made and people are placed into positions uh, on the system of whose buddy they are, are, they are in the church. Let me just say that God has never, never stamped his approval upon such goings on inside of the house of God. God never intended for somebody's buddy, just because they're a buddy, to be put into a position that God has not appointed them or called them to hold in the church. Never should it enter our mind who our buddies are when it comes to laying hands on people in these two important New Testament offices. And then sometimes in some churches, uh, they, uh, people are placed in certain positions because there's a lack of people who can be appointed to be put into those positions. Many times in churches, the smaller churches especially, they struggle to find men uh, to be placed into these positions who meet the qualifications. So they just, they just do away with God's rules and they grab different people uh, who, have not, who do not meet the qualifications and they put them in these positions simply because there are no other people to be placed in those positions. Be that as it may, God has given us certain requirements that must be met for these two very important offices, leadership positions in the New Testament church. Now, if you think back to the last time whenever we were in this couple of weeks ago, we looked at this. We looked, number one, at the major office, the church and its shepherd. And we talked there in verse 1, going down through verse number 7, about the qualifications that must be met before a man can be considered to be a pastor of a New Testament church. Now, in our day, in our day, most churches require uh, resumes. They want a resume. Hey, send us your resume and we'll consider you to be a pastor of our church. But ladies and gentlemen, God doesn't base uh, what he says in chapter, 1 Timothy chapter 3 upon the resume resume of any man. God has already laid down his qualifications, his stipulations about who should be the pastor, resume or no resume. I'll tell you what a church needs to do. They need to get back to the Word of God and get in this text and find out, okay, here's the qualification. Does this guy meet the qualifications to be the pastor of our church? And we talked a little bit about this, this, uh, this uh, uh, position, this major office, and we talked a little bit about the aspirations for such an office. Look at verse 1. The Bible said, if any man, if a man desire the office. And by the way, I'm not down on our ladies whatsoever, but these two positions are to be held by men only in the New Testament church. I realize we're living in the 21st century, and I get all of that. But ladies and gentlemen, God has never intended for a woman to pastor a New Testament church. And God has never intended for a woman to be a de Now you may say, Oh, I know somebody. I know Joyce Myers. Well, bless your heart. I'm glad you know her. But listen, God never has called a woman to preach his gospel, to pastor a church. They may be teachers of the word of God, but they're not God-called preachers because the Bible talks about in verse number one, if a man desire the office of a bishop. And by the way, I don't even base what I believe about that on 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. Not, not whatsoever. I base what I believe on that back in chapter 2 if you'll look down in verse number 12 where the scripture said I suffer not a woman to teach nor to use of authority over the man but to be in silence. God said that a woman is never to use of authority over a man in the local New Testament church. I didn't write that. I'm just preaching that. And that's God's stipulations, God's requirements for his church. Now, let me say there's the aspirations. Then we come to verse number two and we run into the qualifications. 
the qualifications of a church and its shepherd. And it talks about there the main qualification. What is that? Look at verse 2. A bishop then must be blameless. The main qualification of any preacher is he must live above reproach. He ought to live in such a way that nobody can point an accusing finger at that dear man and begin to accuse him and bring truthful accusation against him that he's not doing what he's supposed to. He's not living in a way that he's supposed to live. He ought to be blameless. That's the main qualification. But then we have some marital qualifications. He must be the husband of one wife. And I talked to you about that phrase, the husband of one wife. He must be a one wife woman, man. Old B.R. Lakin used to say the three things that will get any preacher into trouble is the, are these three, gold, girls, and glory. Buddy, any time that a preacher begins preaching for gold or he lays his hand upon girls or he wants to get the glory, I'm telling you, that preacher is headed for a terrible and a tragic downfall. And he says here there are some marital qualifications here. He must be the husband of one wife. I didn't write it. I'm preaching it. I didn't write it. I believe it. God said that. You say, oh, I know so-and-so, and he's passed. You know, I have some dear preacher friends of mine that pastor churches that have been married before. You know what I try to do when I pass by their phone in my call log, and I'm praying down through my call log there, and I pass by their name, their name I always say something like this, Lord, I pray for old brother so-and-so, Lord, and I just have to leave all that up to you. <laughs> uh, because there's a lot of stuff that goes on in this world I have, I, I'm confused by it. What about you? I just know the Bible said that if you're going to pastor a church, you need to be a husband of one wife. Can I have an amen? There are marital requirements. There's the main requirement. There are moral requirements. Look again, if you will, working on down through here. He must be vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given to hospitality, apt to teat, not given to wine, no striker, not greedy of filthy lucre, but patient, not a brawler, not covetousness, uh, one that ruleth his own house well, having his children in subjection with all gravity. Check out a man's children if you consider him for a pastor. Now, I want to tell you this. Once a man's children leave his home, I mean, man, you just got to pray for them and hope for the best. But when those children are still living in that pastor's home, you need to search them out. He needs to have his own family in subjection with all gravity, with all heaviness. He needs to have a, a good home life, a good wife, and a good family. He's not to be, verse 6, a novice, lest being lifted up with pride, he fall into the condemnation of the devil. So you don't take a new convert and make a preacher out of him. That's what the Word of God said. Then in verse 7, he must have a good report of them that are without, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. Now that is the major office, the church and it's shepherd. And now tonight we move to a second thing. We next we move to the minor office, the church and its servants. Now let's talk about the deacons. Now uh, look back, if you will, into verse number one, and you'll find that the word bishop is used in the singular sense. If any man desire the office of a bishop. Uh, the bishop, elder, pastor, overseer, or all the same words in the New Testament. So I could read that if any man desire the office of a pastor. And you notice it's singular, a pastor. Verse 2, a bishop, singular. But then when you come down to verse number 8 and start talking about the deacons, it's plural. So we come to understand that a church has one pastor 
but many deacons. It is possible for a church to have one pastor and to have 15, 16, 17, 18 deacons. It's possible for a church to have one pastor and have two or three deacons. Pastor is singular, so the church has one pastor, but it has many deacons. Now, let me say the church has one and only pastor. The, the pastor is the under-shepherd of the church. The pastor is not run by the deacons. The pastor is the pastor. He's to be led by the Holy Spirit. God never has called a man to be a pastor of a church and then have a deacon board to run that church. That's not how that works in the New Testament. Anything with two head, anything with no head is dead, and anything with two heads is a freak and needs to be over at the county fair. There is only one pastor. There are many deacons. Pastor is singular. Deacons is plural. And we come beginning in verse number 8 and following now to learn a little bit about the office of the deacons. Paul used the word 22 different times in his New Testament writings. And the word deacon there, and I'm going to show you this in just a moment, is really the word for where we get our word servant from. I'm going to talk about that in just a moment. There are two words basically in the New Testament for the word servant. There's the word doulos, which actually carries with it the idea of a bond servant and deals with a servant's relationship to his master. But then there's this word that Paul used here in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse number 8 when he talked about the word deacon there, and it's the word deaconos. And it simply means the word servant. And it's where we get our English word deacon from. In fact, the first time, the first notion of the word deacon didn't come here in 1 Timothy chapter 3. It actually, the concept of it actually started back in Acts chapter number 6. So what I'm going to ask you to do tonight, we're going to leave this now. We're going to go back to Acts chapter 6, if you will, for just a moment. It's 18 after. We have 12 minutes. And let me just tell you from Acts chapter 6 where deacons come from. All right? Go back there with me. The book of Acts, chapter number 6. And when I get there, I'll tell you what page number it is. Page number 1156 in the old Schofield Bible. Here is why we have deacons in the church. Here's where the whole notion, the whole concept of deacons actually originated in Acts chapter number 6. The seeds were planted in the soil of the scripture in Acts chapter 6, which later on became the office of deacon in the New Testament. Now we read there's a problem in this church. Look at Acts chapter 6 and verse 1. There's a good problem. And there's a bad problem. The good problem was the number, verse 1, of the disciples was multiplied. Oh, I want to tell you, this church had it going on. People were being saved like crazy. I mean, people uh, were getting saved. The Bible tells us on the day of Pentecost, 3,000 got saved. The next day, 5,000 got saved. In Acts chapter 2, we read about people getting saved every day in the, in, the, in the church in the early days of the New Testament church. Oh, I want to tell you, they had it going on. People were getting saved like crazy. But I've also told you this. Anytime that something is moving, it's creating friction. That's why in the automobile of your engine of your car, when those things begin to move around in there, if you have no oil inside the engine of your car, that engine's going to overheat and it's going to break down because there's friction in moving parts. When something's moving, it's creating some friction. Well, I want to tell you, this church was on the move. And when that began to happen, the things started happening. Friction began to be created inside in the early days of that New Testament church. People were getting saved everywhere. 
were. By in the marketplace, in the meeting house, on street corners, down by the riverside, on rooftops and jail cells. It was unbelievable. So what happened was the devil started counting his losses and he, st- and he said to himself, something has got to be done. So he starts attacking the church from the inside. For the first five chapters of the book of Acts, he's on the outside attacking the church. He's using the religious leaders of towns and cities to attack, try to stop the church. But he comes to find out in Acts chapter 6 that's not working. So he changes tactics then. He moves from attacking the church from without to attacking the church from within. And you know what he did? He started a church fuss to attack the church from within. You know the little children used to sing the devil's a sly old fox. You remember them singing that song? Well, let me tell you something about the devil. He is one shrewd dude. And if if attacking of the church from the outside doesn't work, then he'll move his attack from within. So there was a problem. Look at verse number 1. The Bible said there arose a murmuring. Now, that's not a good word. There arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews. Now, we're not talking about two rival gangs here the Grecians and the Hebrews. We're talking about two sets of people. The Grecians were considered to be Jews from outside the land of Palestine, and the Hebrews were the Jews who lived inside the land of Palestine. People started getting saved, and once they started getting saved there in the city of Jerusalem, they just decided to stay. And so here are these foreign Jews, so to speak, that were there in the church in the, in the city of Jerusalem. And then here were these homeland Jews, and these Grecian Jews, these outside Jews, began to murmur a little bit because they thought they were being overlooked in the daily ministry of the church, especially that of the widows. They felt like they were kind of being neglected by the church. I don't know about you. Has that ever happened before? Uh, the devil's come told you, and they don't care nothing about you over there. They overlook you. They, they, have, they, they care nothing whatsoever about you over there at the church. Have you ever told you that before? Well, that's exactly what was going on here in the church in the city of Jerusalem in those early days. So what happened? While the Bible said there rose a murmuring. There, they, they started a church fuss there in the house of God. So the, what, the Word of God said what they did in verse number 2, they called the twelve, called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said, It's not reason. The preacher said it's not reason that we leave the word of God and serve tables. Now, if you look it up, you've got to take my word for this until you get home if you've got a strong concordance. If you look up the word serve in verse number 2, it is the same word deacon in 1 Timothy chapter 3. You see, deacons are the servants of the church. They assist the pastor. They serve the church along or beside of the pastor in trying to take care of the needs of the church. He goes on to say this there in verse number 2. They called the, uh, the multitudes disciples unto them, said it's not reason we should leave the word of God and serve tables. So what happened was the pastors were having to leave their study time of the word of God and they were trying to take care of all the different uh, ministries that were going on inside the church. And they were taken away from the word of God. And by the way, a preacher's called to preach. 
a preacher ought to have something to say when he stands up to preach. He ought to not just have to stand up to say something. Bless your heart, he ought to have something to say when he stands to preach. And if he's being torn in several different directions, being carried off by this and that, being burdened with this and that, he, he leaves his time of study from the Word of God and his time of prayer, and then the church, the body, begins to suffer because they're not getting fed the Word of God from the pulpit. Can I have an amen? So here's what was going on. So in verse number three, they come up with a solution. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. So what we're going to do is we're going to get us seven good men. We're going to give these seven good men full of the Holy Ghost. They've got a great report. They're full of wisdom. And then they meet the qualifications that Paul laid down later on. And we're going to put these men in charge of looking after the ministry of the widows. Can I have an amen? Y'all with me? Then look what happened there in verse number four. But we, the preacher, we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith, and of the Holy Ghost, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parnimus, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch, whom they set before the apostles. And when they had prayed, they laid their hands on them. Sounds like a deacon ordination service to me. And these men were to assist the pastor in the daily ministration, the needs of the church. You say, preacher, what happened? I'm glad you asked and we're done. When they got themselves some good deacons, can I tell you something? Things, business began to pick back up in the house of God. Let me show you what happened. When they got them some good deacons to take care of some of the, the burden of the church, three things happened. Are you ready? Here they are. Number one, the murmuring stopped. The murmuring stopped. Boy, I thank God for deacons who stop murmuring. Amen. Any time, you know, people do, you know, you know, people get upset, and I wish it wasn't so, but people do get upset about things in church. Sometimes they feel like they're being overlooked, or uh, nobody cares about them, or uh, they have approached about, they, they have approached someone about a problem, and, and that problem's not been solved, and that problem's still there, so they get to thinking nobody cares. So what they do is they run to somebody else, and they start telling them how they feel. First thing you know, they've got that crowd stirred up, and, and I mean, first thing you know, we got a mess going on in the house of God. Boy, I thank God for deacons who stop, shh, shh. Stop murmuring. Can I have an amen? Can I stop and tell you this? None of us have any right to murmur about nothing. Let me read you a good verse right here. It's that Philippians chapter 2 verse. And this one verse right here puts every child of God out of the murmuring business. Here's what Paul said about it. Do all things without murmurings and disputings. That puts every one of us out of the murmuring business right there. And the Bible said that when these, they got them some deacons, guess what happened? The, the murmuring stopped. So number one, murmuring stopped. Number two, look at verse seven, the message spread. The murmuring stopped, but look at verse seven, the message, and the word of God did what? It increased. Why? Well, the preacher could take time to study the word. 
He could pray and seek God's face. and Man, he could get full of the Word of God and he could stand up on Sunday mornings or Sunday nights or Wednesday nights, the case may be. He could stand up and he could give out the Word of God and the Word of God increased. You know why? The murmuring stopped and the message spread. But then look again at verse 7. Not only did the murmuring stop and the message spread, but what about this? The membership soared. Look again at verse 7. And the word of God increased, and the number of the disciples did what? Now, they had just been adding up to this point. But now we read here, beginning in chapter 6, verse 1 and verse 7, now they're multiplying. I don't know about you, but I'd rather multiply than just add any day of the week. Can I have an amen? 4 plus 4. 4 plus 4 is 8. 4 times 4. It's 29. Is it 29? 4 times 4. Is 16. Anytime you multiply, you're getting a whole lot more. And buddy, when they got them some deacons, and the preacher is doing what the preacher is supposed to do, and the deacons are doing what the deacons are supposed to do, and the church is doing what the church is supposed to do, the membership soared. Thank God for good deacons. Now next week, we're going to get into the qualifications of what we look for and uh, when, we, when we go looking for deacons to fill the New Testament office, that minor office, the church and its servants. 628, and we're done. Are you all with me? Let's pray. Father.